Hello, and welcome to Agape Fellowship. Here we read the Word of God verse by verse. We are going through the Gospel of Matthew. We started with the birth of Jesus, the unveiling of the forerunner, John the Baptist, and are now seeing Jesus gear up for his earthly ministry. In the last episode, we saw why Jesus had to go through a testing phase. Join us as we read chapter 4 about Jesus' response when tested. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Tempting and testing. God tests. Satan tempts. In instances where devil seizes temptations, God uses those temptations as a test to prove faithfulness. In this case, to prove Jesus is faithful. Just as the Israelites were tested, so is Jesus being tested. There are many examples in the Bible just like this where God permits. God permits Satan to tempt you and test you and to twist you and turn you over. Starting from Adam and Eve, Cain, Abraham and Isaac, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, David, Daniel. You list it down all the way up to our lifetime to this very day. God permits. While God permits the Satan to tempt us and to do all kinds of weird things, but God uses those same instances to test us. So we are always having this daily testing that God sends tests for us. The Holy Spirit does not tempt us. That's James 1.13. But the Holy Spirit may lead us to a place where we will be tempted. And sometimes say, God, do not take me there. God knows how far to take you. Because he's, it's a, he doesn't take you to a place where you are going to fall. He will always give you a way out. But you got to pick that way out. Let's read James 1, 12 to 15. James 1, 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by an evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. God doesn't tempt. He tests. So this is not to prove that something to God. God knows everything already, but to prove to us or a test for us to see how faithful we are. Just as Abraham's thing. And so when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards he was hungry, Matthew points to this part that, you know, that this is barren country, desert, the wilderness, Judean desert. And Jesus' severe condition was it was been 40 days of fasting and so he was very hungry at that point. 
Just as Israel, children experienced hunger, so does Christ Jesus. No, you know, when we read the portion in Deuteronomy, he said he was going to test you to see, give you, may give you hunger to see if you would, if you would follow him, to test your heart. That's what Jesus, I mean, God told about the, uh, of Israel and likewise here. So he's hungry and it's that, at that stage and verse three, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We read that Deuteronomy chapter eight, starting in verse three. If you are the son of God, is, G, if, uh, is Satan saying that, are you sure you're the son of God? No, that's not the case. What Satan is saying is, if is in more literally, it would be since you are the son of God. Satan is not questioning Jesus deity, but he's challenging him to prove it or demonstrate it through a miraculous work. Through a miraculous work. Why? Why this temptation? What's up with this one? Now, since I showed you the Jewish connection, you're probably starting, your brains are starting to churn. Say, what is the Jewish connection here? Well, how is this connected to uh, that portion? I'll give you a hint. Read Deuteronomy 8 again, shall we? Let's read that portion, the one that I gave you earlier. But before you go there, let's read Exodus 16, uh, 4 to 18. It's a long portion, but I want for you to read it. Exodus 16, 4 to 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, 
There, on the surface of the wilderness, was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's needs. Why did we go to read this portion? This is the backdrop of what Satan is talking to Jesus about. Command these stones. You are hungry. This is what the implication uh, that Satan is talking because Satan knows everything that happened back then. So the tempter already knows this. So this is the backdrop, the background, the speech behind the speech. Jesus, you are hungry just as Israel was hungry. But since you are the son of God and you have the ability to change stones into bread, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Change these stones to bread and abate your hunger. After all, you've been hungry for 40 days and it is fair that you meet your physical needs, isn't it? After all, you're hungry. Israel was hungry and you are hungry and you have the ability, why don't you do it? The $6 million question is, would son of man put himself and his material needs ahead of his mission. The Father, the Holy Spirit, and all creation wait with bated breaths to see what the Son of Man will do. I'm just kidding. But here was a similar kind of trickery that was played on Adam and Eve. It seems very fair. Hey, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to see right and wrong. Isn't that a good thing? That is a good thing, isn't it? That you should know what's right and wrong. Jesus, you're hungry. You're the son of God. You have the ability. You gave them food to eat, so why don't you eat? But he answered. Jesus didn't silently agree with Satan, but he answered with the word of God. When Jesus quoted eight Deuteronomy 8.23, he said, Jesus shows every word that proceeds from the mouth of God should be more precious to us than food itself. That's what Jesus was saying. Let's read Deuteronomy 3 again, shall we? I got it, I'll just read it. If anyone's got Deuteronomy 3, please, would you like to read it? If not, I'll read it. Deuteronomy 3 goes this way. So he humbled. We had read this earlier, so I'm just reading it again. So he humbled himself. He humbled you. It's a, um, this is Moses talking to Israel. He humbled you, allowed you hunger, and fed you manna, 
which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Talking about Israel, God permitted hunger and starvation. And then he fed them with manna from heaven. To teach them what? To teach them faith. Faith in God's word. That he's worthy of the pursuit and their trust. Deuteronomy 3, I mean 8, 3 goes, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might know, make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, there's provision and the giver of provision. In this case, he had to, the... Israel had to understand faith in God because they Israel had never heard of manna from heaven. Israel had never heard of quails coming and blanketing the place so they have flesh and then they have uh, bread. It never heard of it. But they had to wait on God. Wait on God so that it's precious. That's the faith in God's word. Now, Jesus was in the same situation wherein he could provide for himself if he wanted to. Or he could humble himself and wait on the Lord, learn obedience, and be fed by God by his word. Jesus, in a, he, I mean, in the author of Hebrews read, uh, says this way. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. This is very critical. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5 to 10. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Notice in chapter 5, uh, Hebrews 5, he said, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This is one of them. This was obedience. Yes, he could. He could have made bread out of it. But he learned to be obedient to say, God will be my provision. God provided Israel. Likewise, Jesus was waiting upon God's word to provide for his hunger. Just as Israel, Israel's hunger was abated by God also. Notice the parallels. Waiting on God. Allowing for hunger. 
accepting the hunger, waiting on God and waiting on God's word that says, I will feed you, and waiting on that. And if hunger it is, then so it is. But he was going to suffer that to be made perfect. Hebrews chapter 2 um, Verse 14 to 18, I'll read that. Inasmuch as the children are part, have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shed the same. And through death that he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he has been made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 18 will have no sense to us if we don't understand this parallel. He was made like his brethren, that he might be faithful high priest in all things. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, so the question is asked, when did he suffer? When was he tempted? He's able to aid those who are being tempted. Many times we ask, when did Jesus experience what I experienced? Oh, this is all well, well and good. You know, yeah, he suffered hunger. He suffered, uh, you know, and so because of his suffering, he was able to identify with the Jews and he was able to become the high priest and so on. All of that is good. But wait a minute, if I ask selfishly, when did Jesus experience what I'm experiencing today? And when we search through scriptures to see if he experienced what we find, what we are experiencing in our life today, we have to say, well, no, he hasn't experienced this particular way, the way that I'm experiencing this now. And this is when Many will look at and say, Jesus, well, Jesus did or did not. He, I cannot identify with him because he hasn't experienced what I am experiencing now. And many walk away. They'll say the scriptures. Uh, yeah, you saw that movie, God's Not Dead, right? Remember that story? It's a made-up story. But you remember that professor, he was angry because of a death. And you remember that, right? That movie that uh, was in the... Uh, that, that was a movie that came out. It's called God's Not Dead. Anyway, many times people walk away from the Bible and from God because, as you know, this is all fables. He doesn't know. He cannot identify with me. It doesn't make any sense. Why is it that, I mean, there's no connection here. However, I would say, hold on to that thought. The truth is, in the scriptures, the truth from the scripture is this. There is one prescription for all issues. One, just one. Only one. 
before I say what it is, let's read Genesis. Um, start at Genesis 15, 1, shall we? And I want for you to read up to um, uh, quite a bit, but I want for us to read that portion in order for us to understand what I'm talking about. Genesis 15, 1, 2. Um, I'm going to ask you to read to 21, but let's stop after 1 for now. And I want to make a comment. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great word. Thank you. Oh, hold on, Augie. We are going to get back to verse 2 on to 21. What was Abraham's trouble at that point? Jesus is, I mean, God is coming to saying, Hey, Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. What was Abraham, before you go reading this second portion, you'll know what it is, but before you read, starting verse two, what was Abraham's problem at that time? What was troubling him at that time? I think, uh, he defeated that kings and then Melchizedek. He met with Melchizedek. Yes. And it's right after Melchizedek. that this happened, yes. Yeah, but what after. was his big problem? What was his, something was bothering him so much. Yeah, there are two things. One is maybe he was still worrying about the kings that he defeated. They may attack him. God okay. is saying, that, I'm going to protect you. Yeah. And the other, other problem is no sons. He has been waiting. Yes. That's God really. is saying that. Don't yes. worry. Yeah. Anyone else have a comment to make on that? Yes. Childlessness childlessness question did Abraham believe God when God said uh, to Abraham Abraham I'm your shield in other words protection and exceeding great reward do you think he believed it at that point no no who said that who said no yeah, yeah I think second verse is saying that brother yeah, no, no, but who said no? <laughs> Someone said no. Who was it? That's someone, up. Some, yeah, someone said no and they don't want to talk it. All right. So the answer is no. In fact, if Abram lived today, his response would have been, yeah, right. If he lived in the New York, New Jersey, tri-state area, Abram would have said, hey, I've got a bridge for you. Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> right. I got a bridge for sale. However, since he lived in Canaan, here's what Abraham said. Let's read from verse 2 on, Huggy. Uh, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur 
of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them into down in the middle and placed each piece opposite to each other, opposite to the other. But he did not cut the birds into. And when he and when the vultures came down on the on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at, at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven or a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girishites, and the Jebusites. Thank you. Thank you, Augie. It's a long portion, but what is the point I'm trying to make? Abram had one problem. Abram's problem was childlessness. And so Abram is taken to this place and he sees, and then God goes through this whole thing where he sets up a covenant. And the covenant is, look, I'm going to give you to your descendants all this land. What does that mean? Is that, no, you're not going to remain childless. You're going to have so many descendants, all of this land is going to become yours. That's God's word. Abram had to live on God's word. Had to trust God's word, faith in God's word, that it was going to be the final matter, uh, final uh, chapter on that matter. And there was not going to be another. So I asked the question earlier on, if Jesus, I mean, if Jesus didn't go through our kinds of troubles, the trouble that you have, the trouble that others have, in this Abram's case, is there one solution? Is there a solution? And the answer is there is one prescription for all issues. All the issues have one prescription. Now we know what that one prescription is. Israelites, just like you, Israelites had many issues that are coming up. Many, many, many issues. You remember the wilderness experience. Hunger, lack of food, thirst, and, you know, physical requirements, and food needs. I mean, all kinds of needs. And I'm sure, remember, he had to, uh, Moses had to set up a whole judicial system because there were fightings and all these things were going on. Pretty much everything that a community can experience, they experience in that wilderness. 
but God was their provision. At the end, you remember what uh, uh, Moses points. He said, your sandals never wore up, wore out. Your clothes never were torn. God provided for you. Israelites had many needs. The most fundamental was the foods. And God taught them that they could depend on him for everything. And even the impossible. What was the impossible that they experienced? Manna in the wilderness. Impossible. Nobody in their right mind would ever think that he would get food from heaven. In the wilderness. He was their shield. And he was their exceeding great reward. Let me say it again. He was their shield. Oh, God was their shield. And God was their exceeding great reward. To those hundreds of thousands of people all through the wilderness. All through those years. Anil? Yes. I think if we if we read or study the uh, the wilderness walking, and later on, um, it's a parallel to many of our lives, our walk with Christ, in that He showed them miracle after miracle, provision after provision, righteousness after righteousness, and constantly called them a stiff-necked people. Right obeyed how they went their own ways how they wanted to set up a kingdom and all that even after he showed them his way and his walk don't we do the same thing all often even though we're filled with the spirit and we have the word of god in front of us yes so true faith that leads to obedience leads us to wait on god alone for every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Many times we come to these kinds of experiences where the need is dire, is, you know, it's in Jesus' case it's food, but you saw the Israelites. But notice what God talked about the Israelites. He allow, allowed hunger. God permitted hunger. And then God fed them with manna from heaven that they did not know. Isn't that our experience, just like what Steve mentioned? Isn't that our experience also? We have our needs, just like Israelites had their needs. Each one of us have unique needs. Every one of us has a different kind of a need at different times. And it's literally not, today is one need and uh, that's it for me. From now on to eternity, I don't have any needs. Our needs rise every day. And when they rise every day, and there's a need, God sometimes answers it, sometimes he allows you to hunger. God waits, God lets you wait, God lets me wait. God gives, sometimes is silent, why? Because he wants us to pursue him. And then he would give it to us. Now I also wanna make a note of the other side which is a tough lesson for us. Notice the lesson of Abram. Abram's challenge was no child. But God promised him a land 
filled with his descendants. Did he see those people? Did he see any of them at all? He saw Isaac. And then children, grandchildren, perhaps. But he never came back. And God said, look, you're going to go um, and you're going to be, um, you're going to die and you're going to be, uh, go home, basically. Um, and at a ripe old age, and then your descendants after 430 years will come back and occupy the land. Abram didn't see it. But he was content. Abram was content in knowing that God had his future. God was going to take care of his descendants and forever uh, based on his word. And so he died a satisfied man. Sometimes God allows that too. God allows those hungers and you may go home never fulfilling that. Just like Abraham never saw his generations come back to Canaan. Now this is not a lesson you'll hear from a pulpit somewhere. But that's the truth. Because in the pulpit, they'll say, oh, everything's going to, you know, you're going to get a $100 million bill tomorrow, and you know, you're going to be all good. And then we look at life and say, wait a minute, you say all's good, but it's not all good for me. And I'm going to my grave with those things still bothering me, struggling, I'm struggling and all those things. Why do you struggle? is because you were caught up in a false promise. Don't believe in a false promise. Understand that God has different ways of working with each one of us. Different needs are met differently for each one of us. I cannot say the way that he met my need is the way that he's going to meet your need. The way he met your need is going to be the way that he's going to meet my need. But we can all take a consolation or we can say take comfort in knowing that God is faithful and God has permitted that hunger into our life and God will fulfill that hunger, will satisfy that hunger in his time with manna from heaven. In other words, a promise that is outside of your ability to provide for yourself. Just this past um, three months or four months, I've experienced some really manna from heaven. I did not know that there was a way that God could answer certain things in my life. I did. But I had, I experienced hunger. But that was a situation in my life. As we wait on the Lord, God will meet our needs according to his purposes. And this is what Jesus models for us in the larger scheme of things from his first temptation. Jesus could have quenched his own hunger Jesus could have converted the bread the stones into bread and fed himself. But he didn't do it on his own. He was going to allow God the Father to feed him on 
according to his time, his good purposes, in his economy, according to his ways. He was not going to create for himself another program that did not come from God. And so Jesus said, you know, I'm waiting on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the lesson for tonight, as we close out tonight, is this. Faith, waiting on the Lord for him to provide for us. Obedience, faith and obedience. Those are the two lessons. Faith that leads to obedience. You can be obedient only if you have faith. If not, you're going to find yourself up. You're going to do an Abraham thing. By that I mean, you know, you know the Hagar story. You're going to do one of those, not that Hagar, that event. But in other words, you're going to cook up your own solution for yourself. But it's better for you to wait on the Lord. And in his miraculous way, he's going to provide for you. In any case, notice all of our lives. Not one of us can say that we are where we are today because of our abilities. Can you? I cannot. I Honestly, I cannot say for even a second. But you are where you are only because of the grace of God. And his providential hands have led you this far. And that's why you are where you are. And difficulties and all, God knows all those things. You are where you are because of God's grace. So faith and obedience that leads to manna from heaven. Waiting till you receive your provision from heaven. The first temptation to turn stone into bread was really a lesson on obedience and trusting in God to provide for us. We saw how God provided the Israelites food and everything they needed. We also saw how God made a promise to Abraham. He did not see the fulfillment, but trusted God to take care of it when the time comes. Jesus is teaching us to obey and have faith in the Lord for all our needs. Do join us in the next episode as we continue with the next temptation Jesus faced. God bless.